Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Garrett Marigut. I'm your host today uh, for another episode of Sour and Sass. We are joined um, by the director of growth over at metadata.io, uh, Mark Huber. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. A little nervous, but uh, not for uh, the talk here. I think the question should be pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who's just tuning in right now, the reason Mark's a little nervous, and maybe you can tell him, is you've never had sour candy. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, I was an incredibly picky eater when I was a kid, and I was basically just scared to try things. Uh, so dentists hated me because I never really tried candy or got any cavities. And uh, here we are at 30 trying sour candy for the first time. So I hope I make it. <laughs> okay, well... I can't guarantee that, but I think we will have some fun. So I want to start off with a question, and then we're going to get to the candy. Um, what's the number one assumption that you think marketers have incorrectly in their head when they want to do ABM? So when people are starting ABM for the first time, what's the like flawed hypothesis that keeps them from being successful in your mind? It's a great question. I think for me – it's probably the fact that they think that they need a tool uh, to do ABM. I think there is a whole lot of work that needs to be done first on the strategy side uh, and even making sure that you've got right processes in place first. And we can dive into that later. But uh, buying a platform does not mean you're doing ABM. And a platform does not mean that you're doing ABM other. So when you say that, right, you say they, they assume like a, a tool, a technology, a platform, a software will solve. They buy this. And now they're yep. doing it. Yeah. But the truth yep. is, is there's more to it. And when we say there's more to it, what's that critical piece that if someone buys an ABM platform or a revenue or a demand gen platform like metadata, what are some of the things they need before they start? In other words, to make sure it's a success. Yep. So I think first thing is, even though it's called account-based marketing, you got to have sales involved in every step of the way. So for example, when we're doing ABM uh, at metadata, we have a whole lot of hard conversations up front with our sales team around who should we be targeting and why not, hey, these accounts would be great if we could have their logos on the site. You know, yeah. if we had SAP's logo or HP's logo, it'd be great. But is it realistic? Probably not. So getting really specific on why you're targeting those specific accounts and what criteria you're using. Uh, also, uh, coordination too. So if you have a, you know, a couple hundred accounts and you're trying to shotgun approach your marketing, which is what most companies do when they start out with ABM, you have to be very coordinated with your sales team so that you know what they're doing and they know what you're doing at the same time when you're trying to engage these accounts. I love that. Now I'm out of follow up for you, but first, are you ready? What if I said no? <laughs> Hey, I like that. Honesty is always the best practice. All right. What are we starting with first? We're starting with a warhead. Is there any strategy to this since we're talking ABM strategy right now or no? Yeah. So here's kind of what you want to from a pro, right? I don't actually like sour candy is the crazy part of this whole sure. show. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm being like dead serious. I, I, I like genuinely hate it. <laughs> um, so what I do is I try to pick it one side of the mouth, but I move it. I can talk better that way. But if I leave it for too long, it doesn't feel great. So we're going to move it in the mouth, but we're going to keep going <laughs> in the other. Are you ready? Yep. Here we go. All right. 
Now, I get to sell a lot of ABM. I talk to people. It's always sour. Trying to do ABM. If someone came to you and said, we have a $15,000 a month budget to do ABM, how many accounts should they limit their scope to? Because I see so many people, right? They're like, we have these 3,000 accounts in our total addressable market, or we have these 100 accounts. Like, So if we have like a good rule of a ratio to a dollar, so you got 15 grand, how many ABM accounts can you really, should you put in a campaign in your mind? This is terrible, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I think it depends on a couple of things and I hate to say it and it, it depends answer, but I think it depends on the side, like the average contract value. And then oh. I'd also look at, um, tiering those accounts too. So if you have, let's say, I don't know, maybe 800 to a thousand accounts, try and yeah. tier those out into three tiers. And then I would look at having some foundational programs in place that you're using across all of those tiers. And then as you move up tier, yeah, sorry, I'm taking one of your tricks and moving it across the other side of my mouth right now, um, yeah. start to um, allocate a little bit more money uh, yeah. to that second tier, that first tier. So if you had 15,000, you know, I'd probably spend um, the majority of your money uh, on, I'd say the, the tier three and above account. So all of those, accounts are getting the same types of campaigns. Yeah. Let's say spend it, uh, probably allocate maybe 50% there, uh, 30% uh, tier two and above. And then that top tier gets an extra 20%. Oh, I like that. Now, thank you for sharing that because I think it's helpful. Now, I love ABM. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what we do for ABM here. Uh, mm -hmm. And I want to get your context on a key part of it. So when I've done ABM historically, uh, and I used to run all, like, I've run sales dev here. I've run a lot of the pieces. So I get to see kind of like more like a chief revenue officer that also yeah. has some tactical, like, skin in the game. You know what I mean? And so I've seen ABM work really well, but you need to get outside just firmographics. What I found is like tools like Zoom Info or Clearbit or Seamless. They give you things that are helpful. Like a lot of people I've seen create their tiers, like you talked about, based off of revenue. But I found revenue mm -hmm. data to be wildly inaccurate and like headcount for and not and not very widely available too, especially yeah. if you're targeting private companies. Yeah, but they act like they have it, right? So if you go and zoom info, they'll show all the revenue for private, and you, but I don't like how could they get it, right? So I've always used like headcount, for example. But even with that, I struggled. And so you start to use technology, right? Oh, okay. Well, if they have Marketo or Pardot they're probably a more advanced internal marketing team than if they have HubSpot, let's say. Maybe not mm -hmm. true, but just like there's some concepts, right, that help mm -hmm. us to create our tiers. But when we really had our breakthroughs, when we started to use industry-centric data. So we built our own SQL database where we started to pull the SpyFu API, the SCMrush API, and the Ahrefs API. And then we put that and then in, like matched it to every account. So I ran you know, how many, what the domain rating was for an account, how many links they had, how much traffic they had, how much SpyFu said they were spending. And then we built a logarithmic scoring model to then score accounts based off of their investment in the service we were selling. In other mm -hmm. words, because I knew how much they were spending on Google ads, I could say that they were a better target account because we bill on a percent of spend. So 
my question to you is how can marketers get industry level data into their ABM so that it's not just firmographics, but instead has things that are better indicators of AOV and purchase intent? How, how can we think about that differently? Yep. So we actually do something similar to, and without giving away the secret sauce, um, we're looking at where target accounts are advertising, uh, how much advertising they're doing on a particular channel, and then also looking at um, just how much advertising they're doing, you know, on each channel. Uh, there's a couple of different ways that we can do that. Then I think based on the the different segments uh, of those accounts, you start to figure out which of your value propositions will resonate more with. You know, one tier versus the other. Yeah, because I love value property. Let's talk about that because you all have been doing this gift card campaign, right? $100 gift card, whether it's Uber Eats, Amazon, mm -hmm. or whatever. Our head of ABM saw that, launched an experiment. I don't know how this all mm -hmm. happened. And I mean, we've done millions and millions in pipeline since mm -hmm. doing gift card offers. What's been your experience on gift cards as an offer? And, you know, do you recommend it? So I think for us, we kind of struck gold in that we tried a new channel out at the right time. Uh, it was a, a brand new channel for LinkedIn. So there weren't very many ads uh, in people's uh, in mail inboxes at one time. So that was, I'd say, the first mover advantage. And then the second thing, which admittedly makes it difficult, is that if you're on the receiving end of that and you see, you know, a hundred dollar DoorDash gift card during a global pandemic, you know, whether you're interested in the platform or not, you know, you may take up uh, that offer to get the hundred bucks in your pocket. But the reason why I say that is people oftentimes aren't always coming to you because they're feeling pain at that point. Mm -hmm. So you have to be mindful of what the unit economics are for how much you're paying for that demo request in the first place, how much that gift card costs you. And if it makes financial sense for you, go all in on it. And it, it does for us, given what we value those demos. So uh, it makes it, you know, oftentimes a slightly more difficult pitch for our reps because that person isn't feeling pain. Uh, but it's been our biggest qualified demo driver uh, over the last, uh, probably in the history of metadata. Yeah, same. I mean, for us running, you know, gift cards in co with Convo ads has been an absolute game changer. We actually even started to scale that via Clearbit to Facebook. And so we're running those same gift cards on Facebook. And I mean, we're pumping. I, I, I see them all the time. <laughs> they, they see our yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we're just pumping. I mean, I think we went from like three qualified calls a day to over 20, like, you know, overnight. So it really works. Now, I like what you said, though. There is this like, we didn't used to have to qualify nearly as well before this. And now we have two qualifying calls because mm -hmm. of how much volume and it's the right person, right? Like, cause you've got the firmographic controls, you have the demographic controls because it's social, right? Like I feel really good about the persona, but the purchase intent can be weak. Um, anything that you found that could help increase purchase intent and kind of like get someone from wanting the gift card to being excited about your product and like bridge that gap, anything that you guys learned? Yeah, I think we're constantly looking at the messaging that we're using in those conversation ads and testing out different forms of social proof where uh, we've been told, and I take this as a compliment, but we're ruthless about qualification. So we're looking at the different questions that we're asking 
Uh, at first, I think it was very easy for people to see if I answered the questions in this way, I will get the $100 gift card. So we're, <laughs> we're looking at, you know, what's the best way to ask those questions so they're not as leading. Uh, yeah. And then that way, as people respond to them, uh, you know, in the way that we want them to, uh, and they may be a good fit, then you're getting the right people in the door. The other thing that I would say is we're constantly talking to our sales team, as you should really with anything that does, uh, that involves ABM about the titles coming in, the size of the accounts, do we need to tweak our targeting? What's good? What's bad? Because um, if you're still living in an old MQL world, you can game the system however much you want, but if it's wasting sales time, then what are you really doing? It's a great point. It's a really great point. And I think, you know, you said something earlier too about if the math works. So we use an LTV CAC model to determine how much we can pay, you know, for mm -hmm. a week or something. And we did, we run a, we ran a lot of data on this and we actually found that $50 gift cards had a higher CPL than $100 gift cards because the conversion rate wasn't high enough. Have you tested something more than $100 gift card that it works even better? I mean, is there a point of diminishing marginal returns on how valuable your offer is? What have you found there? Um, no, we haven't. That's a really good idea. We have tried different types of uh, $100 gift cards to see if one offer resonates more uh, than the other. But I think um, also what we're looking at is based on our, I'd say, marketing um, goals being qualified opportunities, marketing attributed revenue, um, and the budget that we have, we have, you know, CPL, um, cost per MQL and cost per opportunity baselines that we have. And when your targeting is much wider, you can definitely come in under those. And it looks like, wow, we're generating a ton of uh, qualified leads uh, at a lower cost. Um, but then that will definitely impact the conversion rate if the quality is not there too. No, I love that. Now we got a question from JJ. He's asking, are you incorporating that intent into your scoring model? So when we talked about earlier, like I'm running some separate APIs to, and I got a logarithmic model to help score accounts and tier them, but that still doesn't have intent. Have you seen success with something like a Bombora or things like that um, to help understand if someone's truly in the market or not on top of that? Yeah, so we, uh, ironically, we just announced a new integration with G2 yesterday. Um, I'm not trying to pitch people here because I hate that. But what we realized is intent data has been this new thing the last couple of years and everybody's fascinated by it. But if you don't know how to actually use it, it's not very valuable. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to use intent just to serve relevant ads to people who are in market, all while trying to get people off the CSV import hamster wheel. So yep. if you can truly use intent data and start to score them great but if you're spending so much time in these spreadsheets like i just don't think it's worthwhile to try and incorporate that in your scoring model yeah we i mean i've tried to use that bombaro bombora surge data and i thought it was kind of a laughable situation if i'm going to be completely honest like i went through all of them i gave it to my sdr team and they like there was zero intent despite them saying like look at all this intent like oh look these people are surging like just because someone's reading articles and they're triggering your cookie pool around keywords, like just because people are reading SEO articles doesn't mean they're hiring an SEO agency. Yeah. It, um, well, and I, th I think it depends to cut you off for a sec. Like, yeah, what no. are you doing with the intent, like say signal? Are you lighting up your SDRs and having them reach out and being really creepy and saying, Hey, I saw you were researching SEO articles. Are you looking for an SEO agency? Like, that's, they don't want the meeting right away. They're just researching right now. So start to serve up content that helps them through that process. And don't just assume that 
I need to light them up with a demo request ad, or they want, you know, a 15 minute meeting with my SDR. I love that. I love that. Now we got one more Mark. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Which one do you want? Do you want to go the toxic waste or the warhead? What are you feeling? Uh, let's go warhead. The, 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 for people that can't see this, the container is just terrifying. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, I'm nervous just looking at it. I don't even like them that much. I'm all in for warheads, man. So we're going to do our last one here. All right. I got to get that plastic off better. There we go. Okay. Now, oh, that one's sour. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> We're out here. We are really I feel out. like it's like the, the old school bitter beer face commercial. If you remember those from like the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so sour. Oh. Um, I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. This actually affects the interviewer, too. <laughs> I'm – oh. <laughs> Okay, so gift cards are working like crazy for us. The concept's pretty simple, right? Historically, we take our cost per acquisition and we give all of that money to the platform. The hypothesis here is what if we gave some of that to our prospect to lower our CPA? In other words, if we could activate our prospects, could they have them take an action? It could actually make our CPL go down. And I saw that, right? A $50 gift card is actually more expensive than a $100 gift card. We proved mm -hmm. it scientifically. Really cool. Yeah. But I haven't been able to take that learning and apply it to my website. In other words, I'm not able to monetize organic traffic like I am now my ad traffic because I'm using this offer on my advertising, but I'm not using it for my direct traffic, my brand traffic, my organic traffic, things like that. And I think that's probably a lot of people, right? We have these really great offers on our ads, mm -hmm. and we have these kind of mundane, boring, vanilla offers on our website. Is there anything we can do to bridge that gap and try to get away from like the get a free twat trial? I mean, you could be like, you know, credit card required, you know, up running in seven, like well, all that stuff. But like, it's not an offer. You know what I mean? Like, how can we get our amazing offers from our advertising into our website? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I think the first thing, and it usually always starts with, the, I'd say the audience first and then the offer for me. We're in a little bit of a lucky position because we are marketing to marketers and i think the belief that we have at metadata is we only want to do marketing that we ourselves would want to respond to so other offers that we've tested and we tried testing it out on the site too um you're probably in the dave gerhardt marketing group but at the end of the day we're trying to make people like better marketers whether they buy our software or not yeah. so making sure that the offer is truly valuable at the end of the day and more so playing the long game yeah. Uh, as opposed to, hey, a free trial, because a, a free trial for me is not really an offer. It's still a commitment and it's just, it doesn't involve me paying anything. Uh, so like what's in it for me? So I'd probably start there first. And then I think the other thing is just looking at how you can start to uh, retarget people uh, just based on who's coming to your site uh, in other channels, you know, with some of the offers that are performing or just okay. using that as a way to test out offers too. In other words, you're saying, look, you can keep, your traditional offer of you know book a demo or something like that but mm -hmm. then if you've got someone who bounces let's put them in a separate cookie pool and then we can retarget them with offer now i had a kind of cool concept i'd love to hear your thought on this mm -hmm. a video i'm going to be making soon but it's around creating a hierarchy for offers 
So I had this thought, right? So I get someone who comes from a LinkedIn combo ad, $100 gift card, but they no show on a meeting, but they're a tier one account. I could then put them in a retargeting pool where I up the ante. And I say, look, it's worth 150, right? Because I have different cost per acquisitions for a tier one account based on their forecasted AOV versus a tier three account, right? So I had this idea of creating hierarchy uh, of retargeting offers so that the offers keep getting more compelling until uh, you finally take an action. Have you ever tried something like that or any experience trying to run like a, you know, kind of hierarchical offer? No, I mean, I like it. I think for me, uh, my initial reaction is if you're using, let's just say the, the DoorDash gift card for a hundred bucks and you're using, you know, a 150 or a $200 gift card offer. I don't know if I would just pick the same offer, but increase the, the value. I'd probably try and figure out for, you know, uh, let's say a, a digital marketing manager versus a VP of marketing versus a CMO. Yeah. Customize the offer a little bit more based on their seniority level and what they might be most interested in. One yeah. thing that we did try though, when we realized that some people were converting on those conversation ads uh, just to get the gift card yeah. uh, and then run and basically ghost us after there, which you have to be willing to accept at some points, uh, yeah. is saying, you know, hey, we're happy to give you the gift card if you can bring in, you know, your boss to that meeting and make sure that, you know, they're there listening to this pitch too. Um, oftentimes because people, you know, while they may not have a need, uh, when they take that original demo, once they get on the demo and realize, you know, what metadata can do for them, uh, they're incredibly surprised and it opens up more doors than I think they originally planned to in the first place. I love that. And that's why too, your follow-up has to be so good. I found too with our AEs, you know, I think one of the unspoken rules of this whole thing is actually how good you have to not only be at qualification and pipeline management, because our leads skyrocketed, right? All of a sudden, we never had inbound SDRs. Now we got two of them, right? We had one AE. Now we got almost four of them coming, right? Like this really does expand your pipeline like crazy when you get the right offer and you have a good product market fit in the sense that like, I'm pretty sure you and I both know like, hey, we go after heads of demand gen and we got a badass mm -hmm. offer. We're trying to get them in our system, right? And mm -hmm. it's working. I think it's working for both of us. What, what do you think? we should expect if someone's listening, they want to start this, what percent of people are going to no show on that first call, right? So we run that offer and we have a chili piper thing that books it. So it's doing this like round Robin via chili piper. Mm -hmm. How much, what should people expect on that drop off? Right? So if they're saying, Hey, Mark Garrett, I love what you guys are talking about. I want to do gift cards, but I got to bring a forecast to my CFL and I want to build like a kind of like a pipeline. What percent do you think are going to show up to that first call? Yeah, so I'd say two things, and I'll answer your question here in a sec. Yeah. But the first thing is you have to be very careful around capacity for whoever is going to be having those initial meetings, uh, whether it's your SDRs or your AEs, because if you open up the floodgates and you just start generating a ton of these and then you can't handle them, you don't want to give a poor experience to those people because they're going to see I you know, converted on this ad, I requested a demo, and I either didn't hear back from metadata or it took me two weeks to get scheduled for a, an intro call. By that point, they're just going to go to one of our competitors and and go take their business elsewhere. So that's the first thing. And then as far as the no-show rate, I think probably somewhere in that, uh, I'd say 10 to 15% range, maybe a little more, uh, just knowing that you know they may be looking for the gift card. Uh, we do run them through if we can't get in touch with them right away, um, an outreach sequence to try and get uh, just a response from them and see yeah. uh, what 
prevented them from grabbing time with us. So again, the follow-up process with most things is key. Uh, and you got to make sure that it's a pretty seamless follow-up process too. Yeah, for us, we've done a couple things that have been pretty cool. We started doing like text message alert reminders via Twilio. Uh, that helped us increase our show rate. We also um, started doing 24-hour, one-hour, and 10-minute reminders uh, via Chili Piper. That helped yep. us. Um, anything you guys are doing to try to keep that funnel velocity when you have these high-value offers um, and sometimes the timing's not there? Yeah, we've been doing video follow-up. So including okay. videos uh, in our follow-up just to make sure that we're sticking out from you know the million other MarTech companies that are out there. I think it's 8,000 at this point from the last uh, MarTech landscape diagram. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've actually gotten really good feedback to the point where some people, uh, even at VP level, will say your follow-up and using video is what stuck out to me. So, you know, well, that contributed to me. So we made that hype video. Did you see our hype video? I don't know if you have a chance to see it at all, but we made a hype video kind of just like a highlight mm -hmm. reel which nobody does in performance marketing really but it's like showing all our client wins and stuff and mm -hmm. that's been huge for us are you doing it at a generic level or are you doing it like the sdrs or doing individual follow-up videos like how, how the, S the sdr level yeah and, wow. and truly trying to personalize it yeah and yeah. like we don't at metadata we don't take ourselves too serious point proven yeah. me being on this thing and not trying sour candy before and i can't <laughs> feel my mouth um but trying to just like we're marketers marketing to, to people. It's people to people at the end of the day and be quirky, be funny. It sticks out. It's against the grain. And we found a lot of success doing it that way. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of RSDRs like they'll play songs, they have like a guitar and they're like playing, they write a little jingle for somebody. All of that stuff's yeah. great. Um, are you using a certain technology for that? Are you using something like BombBomb or what are you guys using to deliver the videos? Uh, so we have, uh, we'll record like Loom videos too. Uh, okay. and we've got Drift as well. Um, so we'll just slap something there pretty quick, but we're a small scrappy startup. So I've used Vidyard in the past with some of the SDR teams that I've managed, which is great. Uh, we're just not at that point budget was. Yeah. Drift has actually been really big for us since we use the automatic booking type stuff through Drift and we moved from intercom. We actually doubled our booking mm -hmm. rates through Drift. You guys look like you have a pretty like ingrained Drift flow at metadata. Any kind of high level learning for someone who's like wanting to maybe start using Drift a little bit more but in a more tactical, like actual have an impact way, not just like, Hey, look, we got live chat, right? Like, yep. Um, I would say, look at not just the, the qualification questions that you're asking, but the order of those questions and look at mm -hmm. the analytics behind where people are dropping off. Uh, I'm constantly looking at that and trying to see, is this the right order? Should we be tweaking these? Um, the second thing, and again, it, it goes back to what I just said. Uh, if you look at our primary drip bot on our site, you're greeted by the Forrest Gump, like waving meme, like just make it funny, make it personable. Like that's what people remember. And that's what get uh, people intrigued. And uh, you know, you're a human market to humans. I love that. It's this whole concept, right? Of like, I think the larger these organizations get like metadata is still in this budding phase. Right. But if you go to like a Marketo, there's nobody at Marketo that's using like gifts and memes. And it's like, they lose their soul when they get to a certain mm -hmm. size. Um, is there any downside? Like, do you see any true downside for showing more character and more charisma and more energy in your brand at all? Or, and do more enterprise companies you think need to be doing this? Like, what's your take around like actually, you know, like having opinions, having some type yep. of like brand yep. like business? Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think what makes it unique is that given our stage and given how we all want to market metadata, yeah. we're in a little bit of a, a lucky position because we don't have to go up 10 levels of the food chain and say, hey, is our right to add a Forrest Gump you know, GIF in, in our drip bot? Yeah. Uh, but I think as like a challenge for us, and this is something that we're aware of, is as we continue to grow, let's not lose that. And let's make sure that we continue to reflect that in all of our marketing. I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to respond well to it. And those are the people that we want to do business with. You have to be comfortable realizing that some people are not going to respond well to that and be okay with that. I love that. No, no. And I think that's such a, I think the concept, right, of like, once your marketing gets to the point, like for us, right, we didn't have a breakthrough till we said we just do performance marketing for SaaS. Until that moment, we couldn't say anything that was special enough to matter. So at Metadata, how are you all thinking about that as you grow, right? Because like right now, I'm sure when I look at your testimonials and your case studies, right, it's very much still SaaS-centric. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like if you start branching out into other industries or if your platform starts expanding its products, you'll lose some of your laser focus when it comes to conversion rates and value propositions? And kind of, you know, how does that in your brain, the future look as you start to expand the product suite, right? Because like, Yep. I did an audit the other day of BMC. BMC's got like 2 billion product lines, right? Across all these mm -hmm. countries. They got EMEA, they got APAC, right? And all of a sudden, what I've seen is that brand charisma, that brand energy just gets bastardized and just completely evaporated. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything in your mind around how you're going to try to keep this off the same, like direct messaging, value props, and authenticity as you grow? Yeah, so I think uh, it's a great question mostly because we're going through this right now. So I, for me, and with the whole ABM platform space, I think a lot of the ABM platforms are trying to be too many things to too many different people. So if anything, we're trying to double down and focus even more around who we think our best fit uh, customers and, and people are. So for us, we're in the process of making a few strategic bets here, just in terms of our messaging and our positioning to go kind of from the bottom here to just yeah. continue to get more laser focused. Um, so we'll see how it works out, but it's something that I think we're excited about and we're trying to balance, you know, quantitative testing with qualitative interviews with customers and prospects and even marketers in our network. And we keep hearing a lot of these same themes. Uh, so we're going to be doubling down on some of this and um, continue to just take that next step with our positioning. Yeah. I have one last very specific question for you. Um, and I, I love to hear your response. One of the things I'm noticing in your platform, because I'm pretty in, in tune with the ABM space and the kind of the demand gen space with this, all this. Yep. You all have a big push on experimentation, which is not a assumed feature. In other words, if a prospect comes to you wanting to do revenue ops, revenue generation, demand generation, ABM, whatever it is, experimentation is not in like the request, right? Like that is not a thing in the ABM space where people are like, oh, how do I, like, how scientific is your platform for running experiments? Isn't like a commonly asked question. So how are you all trying to innovate a product in a space with features that aren't necessarily on the request list, but are good for the value of the product and actually being a successful product? Like, how are you balancing like features they need versus features they're not asking for? Yeah, well, and I'll, just think back to my own experience at any marketing position that I've had, people aren't requesting that I needed a, you know, a 
experiential marketing platform because they never have the time to do it. It's always something that they want to do. They're scrapped then they have more requests than they can even, you know, meet and do in a given week. So it's, yes, it's not on the request uh, list, but in the back of our minds, when we're talking to these marketers, they've always wanted to do that and yeah. figure out, Hey, what's working, what's not working. Uh, let me, you know, figure that out and then have a platform then reallocate budget to what's working best. And from a testing perspective and, you know, comparing it back to this whole messaging and, and value prop uh, project that I'm working on right now, yeah. you can then start to run campaigns and test that message out and see, you know, what truly is resonating with your audience. And that way you're moving away from, you know, gut feelings. It's not to say that sometimes you can't rely on gut feelings, but uh, it's very subjective. And now you can have data that actually backs it up. I love it. I love it. Well, Thank you so much, Mark, for being on the show. Uh, if anyone wants to follow along with your journey and just kind of, you know, learn from you and anything you're sharing, uh, how can they do that? Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn there is awesome. The graphics are unbelievable. Uh, I share some good stuff. I'm pretty self-deprecating. I like to laugh. I like to post some memes. So we're big on not taking ourselves too serious and uh, just making sure that we're helpful and kind of playing the long game with a lot of the demand marketers out there. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Mark. And uh, that's Sour and Sass, everybody. Have a great day.